I wonder, have you got a favorite word? A word that you either like and therefore use a lot, or that other people around you know that you use a lot and you don't realize you use a lot. I wonder if you've got a favorite word. Well, I love words, uh, and I love how words fit together. I love when a carefully chosen word is used that kind of adds something to the sentence. But one of my growing favorite words that is increasingly kind of up there that I love, I don't use it a lot, but I love it, it's a playful word, is this word on the screen. It's pronounced chutzpah. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say chutzpah. If you're unsure, you pronounce it a bit like foot spa. <laughs> but it's, and it's not just a ha, it's a chutzpah. Anyone know what it means? Interesting, not many of us, a number do. Well, here is on the screen what the word chutzpah means. It's kind of shameless audacity, courage, nerve, confidence. It's the kind of word that's got Jewish heritage, German heritage as well. Uh, it's the sort of thing that when somebody who jumps you know, into a queue, they queue jump, and then they ask the person behind them if they could hold their place while they just go and do something else. It's that sort of shameless audacity. Or, or, or any parents know this, when a child has done something wrong and the parent has a conversation with the child and somehow the conversation gets turned around to what the parent has done wrong. It's that sort of shameless audacity. Or it's, it's asking for a pay rise when your boss has just told you you've done a really bad job. It's that courage, that nerve, that posture of confidence. And it can be both a cheeky bad thing and a really, really good thing as well. Well, today, as we continue this series in the book of Revelation, which is this crazy book at the end of the Bible, an incredible book, as somebody likens it to being a book if John, the writer of it, had been on drugs at the time, some of these things would have been going on like that. It's a crazy book, but centrally to it is the message that regardless of what happens in life, Jesus wins. And today, as we continue that series, as it begins, there's three chapters where there are letters to seven different churches. We're going to see an example of what I'm going to call, I'm coining this phrase, if it goes big, if it goes viral, heard it here first, and it's this, holy chutzpah. Why don't you say that to the person next to you? Holy chutzpah. What we mean by that is a sort of radical, Jesus-centered and Jesus-inspired confidence, despite clear weakness and perhaps even doubts. Now, why is this important? Well, I wonder, and I look at this in my own life and I see this around, that many of us, if we were candid, feel a little bit embattled and embittered. We just feel weak, a bit beleaguered. With all that's going on, we've come through COVID. We're now in a cost of living crisis, which means we're struggling. Let alone that, everywhere we look, bad news, politicians failing, jobs down the pan, relationships in tatters, all this. It feels like a heavy time where we feel, frankly, weak. 
And that can be true for us as individuals. Whether we feel we're particularly weak or just our lives seem a little bit unspectacular. The dreams that we hoped we would achieve, and actually we're just doing our jobs, trying our best. No one's going to really remember us. And also that can cross over into the life of the church where we see apparently other things going on in other places, either around this country or in the world, that seem so amazing, and we just seem, well, it's a bit normal, isn't it? Unspectacular, not quite sure what's happening. And all you hear in the media is stories of decline, and we're on the back foot a bit. And if you're anything like me, I'm very aware of my weakness. But then sometimes I can spend so much time dwelling on my weakness that I think the solution all lies within me. Well, today, friends, if that's you, you're not alone. Maybe it's time for a bit of holy chutzpah. Because the group of Jesus followers that we're looking at today in a place called Philadelphia, not America, they had every reason to think that they were insignificant and ineffective. Compare it to the church we looked at last week. If you're around at Tally Ho, if not, check up on YouTube, join us online, look back at last week's talk. Because that church looked impressive. Here it is, chapter 3, verses 1 to 2. You have a reputation for being alive. But Jesus said, actually, you're dead. Whereas this church in Philadelphia, I know that you have little strength. Yet, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Last week, the church's problems that they thought they were fine, and they weren't. This week, the challenge is, there's every reason for them to think, I'm not fine. I'm weak. I've got little strength. I don't know if I can do this, God. But for the first time... This letter is the, one of the, is the first one that has no word of criticism. Jesus just wants to encourage. And so, friends, if you're here this morning, a follower of Jesus, however frail you may feel, however fragile all that you feel with all that you're going on, maybe Jesus has words of encouragement to put within you some holy chutzpah. It's easy, isn't it, when we feel beleaguered, to feel on the defensive, but Jesus encourages us to go into a posture of advancing forwards. And let me give you an example of someone I read recently who has holy chutzpah. Here she is on the screen. I had a privilege a few weeks ago of meeting the woman in the middle. Her name is Susanna Ko. In 2017, her husband, a man named Raymond Ko, a Christian pastor in Malaysia, Southeast Asia, was abducted in broad daylight because he was wanting people to know about Jesus. His wife, Susanna, in the red on the screen, could easily at that moment have stepped back into the shadows for very real fear. But do you know what she did? She applied to the highest authorities in her nation, the Human Rights Commission, who found out that it was the special branch of the police who had abducted her husband. Now, at that point, put yourself in her, her position. Her husband has been abducted in broad daylight in the middle of a big city. 
by the special branch of the police. I would be very afraid, would you not? There's every, everything within you at that moment would be to take the back foot because you don't want to be next on the firing line. Am I alone in that? So what does she decide to do? She decides to sue in court those of the highest level within the police force. So much so that is now going through the courts in Malaysia. So much so that her bravery and courage was awarded in the 2020 International Woman of Courage Awards by the US Secretary of State. Here she is being given her award by the former First Lady Melania Trump and Senator Pompeo. I had the privilege of meeting her a few weeks ago. And when you ask her why she did this, she said two things. One is, obviously, she wants to know what happened to her husband. But the second reason was because whilst it's in court, whilst this is going public, it means that it won't be able to happen to everyone else because all of the eyes of the media and stuff is on it. That, friends, is holy chutzpah. The kind of confidence when she naturally might be weak and want to back away for fear, stepping forwards in a posture of advance for the sake of others. And so Jesus has some encouragements for any of us who are feeling a bit beleaguered and how we might get some holy chutzpah. I'm going to get sorry on the front row, by the way. <laughs> First encouragement is this. Why can we have holy chutzpah? is because the door is wide open, friends. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you've got little strength yet you've kept my word and not denied my name. Jesus is the door opener. He's got the keys of David, which is a reference to the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, which is all about having authority to admit, let anyone in you want to. A number of years ago, I had the immense privilege of going into Wandsworth Prison. Uh, some of you may have been into prison. Some of you may have been into prison to visit people. Some of you may have been into prison in an official capacity. In this, this moment, I was in, invited uh, in because I was visiting somebody in a former congregation. And therefore, I went in, but I didn't go into the normal bit, which is the kind of normal visitor's area, which is relatively safe. I went in, right in to the heart of the prison, into the wing. You know, when you go in, you remember, the, you've seen the pictures. You go in, and there's several stories with this open bit with netting on it, and these guys just leaning over, Looking down at you, the occasional banter, oi, oi, all that sort of stuff. And I went and met with a guy in his cell in the wing in Wandsworth Prison for vulnerable prisoners at that moment. I remember the first time I went through that first door at Wandsworth Prison with the guy who had what? A massive bunch of keys. I remember going in as he opened the door, through the door, and then the door slamming behind you, and then him locking that door. At that moment, you suddenly realize how powerless you are. And you also realize, I'm sticking with this man <laughs> right here. I'm going to keep as close as I can. I don't want him turning down one way, and I've lost him. And then you go through another door and another door. 
Why? Because the keys, he has the key to let people in and out. And therefore, with him is my future destiny. I'm sticking with him. And the reminder from Jesus is this. He is the one who opens doors. He's got the keys. And on one level, I want to say that's a massive encouragement for those of us who are part of Riverside. I was given these verses about a year ago by somebody in this room as a prophetic word for Riverside. That there is an open door ahead of us that no one can shut. And therefore, we don't need to worry. Because he's the one who opens the door, not us. Isn't that good news? We've been praying about this, uh, praying about the future. Many of you in Riverside will know this. And over the next weeks, we've got some really interesting conversations coming up. We pray that God may open those doors. If they don't, there'll be other doors, whatever those may look like. We'll update you as soon as we can. But the confidence is this, that we step forwards, not because we can do it, but because a door can be opened or closed by Jesus. And therefore, we just have to keep stepping forwards. He will open it or not. Brilliant. But it's also true for us as individuals. If there's something in your world that just seems a barrier, it's not you that opens it. He's the one who opens the doors. And so there's a natural tendency to say, Lord, please, please, please. Hence, prayer and being on our knees is so central. It's not how impressive you are or the impressiveness of your faith or the impressiveness of these guys' faith that opens the door. It's Jesus. But the ultimate promise is not just about their circumstances, but it means that Jesus has got the authority about the whole of their future. He's the one who's got your future. So therefore, friends, you can have a holy chutzpah because it's not on you, your future. Isn't that good news? The open door. Brilliant. Second point is this. Not only is there an open door, Jesus promises, but also that our enemies are dealt with. Let me read to you. I'll make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they're not, but are liars, I'll make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Put yourself in these guys' position. They're a small, fledgling congregation of Jesus followers in a world that is very different. It's very easy to feel insignificant against the massive gods of the, the, the Roman era and all of that. And not only that, they've also got opposition within the local synagogue. Now, can I just say something as a pause moment here? Sadly, you don't need me to explain. Verses like this have been horrifically used to justify all sorts of horrific anti-Semitism. That is not what is being said here. What it seems most likely is that within the synagogue, there were a group of people who were really anti these new fledgling followers of Jesus and were out to get them. But do you notice how Jesus encourages them? Not, I'm going to give you the tools so with your weapons you can be really hard and sort it all out. That's my definition of being really hard. <laughs> I told you I was weak. <laughs> What does he say? And acknowledge that I've loved you. Wow. Why is that so impressive? Well, because we know when we know we're loved by the one who has the keys of David, 
you step forward with holy chutzpah. Because it isn't on you. You don't have to be strong enough. Because he is. And so therefore, when he says, I will make them come and fall down at your feet. Brilliant. Step forward with confidence, with holy chutzpah. That's why this quote that in this series we've been mentioning a few times, it's going to be on the screen, from a guy called John McGinley, really resonates with me. I genuinely believe that the best days of the church in the UK are ahead of us. But they won't look like the best days by the current standards or our current measurements of success. Size, numbers, our position and influence in society. I believe they'll be characterized by the church being marginalized, organizationally weakened and humbled and on our knees before God. These are the places that God has always begun his work of revival. That's why we show this quote, because I think with churches like us, who in a sense came into being because we wanted to help people get to know Jesus in a way that was really relevant and connected for them, it can be so easy for us to presume that therefore if we do church right, the world will thank us for it. And that everyone around us will say, wow, great. Whereas actually, sometimes when we don't get that, it might be a positive sign. If we're following Jesus because we want to be popular, remember where it led Jesus. <laughs> That's why so often, I think, so often on the edges of society, Jesus seems to do the most beautiful work, which is why we do all of these ministries within the life of Riverside to connect those on the edge, the fringes, so, holy chutzpah, because there's an open door. Holy chutzpah, because the enemies are dealt with. But there's a third one. Because protection is guaranteed. We've got a protection force on our side. Listen to what he says, verse 10. Since you've kept my command and to endure patiently, I'll also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. And now, this is another one of the most talked about bits in the Bible. Denominations have been formed over this verse. Some people think there's going to be a period before Jesus comes again that will be really hard. Other people think that when Jesus comes again, there'll be another period afterwards that will be really hard. Can I just say, by the way, if you are forming a whole theology around one or two verses in the Bible, little alarm bells probably should ding. <laughs> what is really clear is that regardless of what happens in the future, being on Jesus' team is always best. Jesus wins. I remember this came home to me a number of years ago when I was sat with someone who was in a previous church in a hospice as she was dying. And just sitting with her with one or two members of her family and simply holding her hand and together we said, and I said, you're about to go through something that none of us have been through. None of us know what it's like, but what we do know is going through it with Jesus is by far the best. And if you want to do that, just squeeze my hand. And a little squeeze, I have no idea if it was just neural reactions, I don't know. But maybe in God's goodness, even in that moment, there was a recognition that actually, friends, for all of us, there is a future that with Jesus is secure, protected. So putting your hand in his is by far the best bet.
And so if you're here this morning and you're not sure whether you call yourself a Christian, maybe you've been coming along to church for a while or maybe you're watching online and you've got all these questions. You may have a million questions. Brilliant, brilliant. Like this church, you may have so much weak things that you've got going, I don't know. But Jesus says, just put my hand in yours. Put your hand in mine. It's the best by far. Talking to Susanna Coe, that woman I mentioned earlier, I asked her, how do you keep going? And she quoted from the words of a really old hymn that we don't sing here. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Protection is guaranteed for those who just patiently endure. That's the third thing. And the fourth reason for holy chutzpah is this. Building on that. Not only is protection guaranteed, the future is secure, friends. This is what Jesus says, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious or overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I'll write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I'll also write on them my new name. Jesus gives them confidence. Do you see they talk about being pillars? You know those pictures from ancient Greece? What do you see that are still standing? It's often the pillars. Jesus is saying, who's the most important person in this church? You are. Right at the center. Not because you're strong, but because he is. That's why he says, I will make, I will write. I watched a film the other day as we come into close on uh, Amazon called The Covenant. I don't recommend films because you'll always get somebody coming back to you saying, didn't like that. But I enjoyed it. <laughs> and it's all set in Afghanistan. It's a military film set in Afghanistan about an interpreter from, who's an Afghan who interprets for the US military. Um, I'm just going to spoil it for you. <laughs> What he's really after is when the American forces leave, as you know has been the case, so many of interpreters have been left in Afghanistan. What this guy is really after is a new passport with a new name because it guarantees security. Watch the film to see if he gets it, but put yourself in his position. Imagine feeling so at war because you know people are out to get you because of your life, what you have done in it. And then suddenly that opportunity comes for a passport with a new identity that guarantees your security. That is what Jesus is guaranteeing for all of those who just cling on. Not in a way that says, yes, I'm amazing, but in a way that I'm just clinging on to you, Jesus, because you are all I've got. The future is secure. And so, friends, as I close, do you notice something? Here on the screen are three things that they're encouraged for doing. And notice what it isn't. They're encouraged, I know your deeds. You've kept my word, not denied my name. You've kept my command to endure patiently. In our culture, those things are not a definition of success. They're a definition of faithfulness. And so the prayer for all of us today is this, that one day... Jesus might say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Not, well done, successful person for having a knockout the park with life. No, just well done with your weakness for clinging on to Jesus.